Well, good morning. It was great to be back with everybody this morning. Uh, so in 2017, I had the opportunity to go to Haiti for two months and live among the people of Haiti, um, you know, learn their language. But while I was down there, I had to teach English. And I, Anybody in here an English teacher? I know we have teachers, but does anybody actually teach English? Because I have a newfound respect for you, because that is like, our, our language is confusing. Like, I know we speak it. I'm not proficient at it, but I know we speak it, and it, it just comes naturally to some of us. But when you have to teach it to somebody who does not understand a lick of English, and you're explaining everything, it really starts to be confusing, even to me. I mean, it's like, well, that word means this, but at the same time, it also means this, but it can mean this if it's followed by this, and it's just like, I'm so confused. And then I got to thinking about some of our phrases that we have in English. I don't know if you've ever heard these, but if, if you were to be telling a non-English or somebody who just heard these words for the very first time, these phrases, and they took them literally, it would be a little crazy. So phrases like, blow your socks off. I mean, can, like, I don't know where that phrase came from. I mean, like, man, this hot dog is so good, it'll blow your socks off. Like, I don't even know where, like, who thinks of that? I mean, maybe somebody got electrocuted and it blew their socks off, literally. I don't know. Uh, another one, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. I mean, again, like, what happened if you told somebody, hey, you could buy that, but it's going to cost you an arm and a leg, and they're like, I don't need it. Like, I like my arm, I like my leg, I need them. Maybe they have a prosthetic, like, okay, here you go. I don't know. Another one, if somebody's about to go do a competition, hey, go break a leg. <laughs> like, I'll break the opponent's leg. I'm not going to break my own leg, man. Not happening. Uh, eat your heart out. That one's just sick. I mean, like, think about that. Like, hey, go ahead, eat your heart out. <laughs> They're just like, you're dumb. Like, no, that's not going to happen. And then the last one I have, which would freak me out if it literally happened, raining cats and dogs. I mean, like, oh, please never let that plague come, God. Like, I don't want to live through that. Raining cats and dogs. And it's like, you, you wonder, and it's like, where in the world do people come up with these phrases? And, and if you took them literally, I mean, we're all English speakers for the most part. And so we hear those and it's like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that means. But if you were to hear those for the first time, you would be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And in our encounter today, we're going to see where Jesus is having a conversation with a man and he kind of uses a phrase and the guy kind of takes it literally. We're going to be in John chapter 3. And Jesus has been performing miracles. He's been teaching. He's starting to gain a crowd. And then he has this Pharisee who wants to have a conversation with him because he's probably heard who Jesus is. And he sees that Jesus is not just an ordinary teacher, but Jesus is even of God. That God has sent Jesus and he wants to understand who Jesus is, how Jesus is doing the things that he's doing, and just learn from him. And so he meets up with Jesus in darkness, and they have this encounter. And so if you'll come, or if you'll stand for the reading of our word today, it's going to be John chapter 3, verse 1 through 15, and then we'll open in a word of prayer. And so there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a leader of 
or you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses was lifted up, as, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. If you'll join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we all are able to read your word and have you speak to us every time we open it up. But God, we need to open our hearts to what you have to say. And so God, I just pray that this morning. That as we get ready to dive into what you have to say, let it be your word to be spoken and let our hearts be transformed by it. We love you so much. And God, we just need you to speak to us here and now. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. So this is kind of one of those exchanges that I would like to be a fly on the wall for. I mean, we kind of get an aspect here, but we, we just see where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says that weird phrase right there where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus had never heard that statement before. And I love Nicodemus's response. Really? Can a man enter into his mother's womb again? Like, please, Jesus, let that not be the case. That would be horrible. Because Nicodemus is taking Jesus literally. And we see that phrase, though, and maybe you've been raised in the church or you've been studying your Bible, and John 3 is very much a popular passage because of John 3.16, which we will start studying starting next week. And it's popular, and so you've maybe heard that passage before, and like, yep, born again, we know what that means. But it's kind of a churchy's statement. Because if you were to just grab a random person off the road and say, hey, and they're not a believer, they weren't raised in church, and say, hey, you must be born again, they might give you a look like that. Like, uh-uh, that's humanly impossible, and so Nicodemus has the very same answer that probably a lot of people would have if Jesus said to us for the very first time, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how is that even possible? And I find this comical. I mean, maybe it's my immature self that is like, <laughs> that's funny, Nicodemus. But at the same time, Jesus is unpacking a huge thing here. Because Jesus, he ends up giving an explanation as to what he means by being born again. 
John 3, verse 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot be born again. And now there's some controversy surrounding that passage right there as to what it means. Because Jesus is saying, unless you are born of water and the Spirit. And so a lot of people take that to mean, ah, you must be baptized to be saved. Like your salvation is hinging on the work of Jesus, plus you better be baptized. If you are not baptized, then you're not truly saved. And if, if you want to be truly saved, then you have, you have a role to play in your, bapti- in your salvation, and that is through being literally baptized. But Jesus goes on to explain it a little further, and I'm so grateful that he does. John 3, 9 through 10, Jesus said this. He talked to Nicodemus, or Nicodemus said, how can these things be? And so Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. And so Nicodemus is not only a Pharisee, he is like the higher up of the Pharisees. Like there were a bunch of Pharisees and then there were 70 that made up what's called the Sanhedrin. And it was like the Supreme Court of the United States. Like this is the elites. Like they were the ones that broke everything down. All teaching came down from them. And Nicodemus was part of that. Like he is the elite of the elite. He is the teacher, as Jesus uh, uh, says he is. See, English, it is a hard language. Teacher, can't even get that out. But we see that Jesus is telling Nicodemus, hey, you're the teacher, and you don't understand what I'm talking about? You don't know what I mean when I say you must be born of water and born of the Spirit as well? Nicodemus, this should be nothing new to you. Whereas baptism as a means of regeneration is a New Testament doctrine. And Jesus is talking about something that is Old Testament. So when Jesus says you must be born of water and the Spirit, he is referencing something that Nicodemus would have spent years studying. And so in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, we see where God is talking about a new covenant entering in. And he says, I will sprinkle you, or sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then Jeremiah said it this way. He said, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. 
And so these passages are telling us that there is a time that is coming, a time that has already come in which there will be a new covenant that they get to live in. And so really what baptism is, is the Old Testament term baptism or baptizo, as it's said in the Greek, is really it means immersing. To go under and to come up clean. And so what, what they would do for religious ceremonies to be ceremonially clean is they would baptize themselves. Like, I want to go and worship God. I need to be ceremonially clean, so I will be baptized. I'll go down and I'll clean my body of all the filth. But when Jesus came, he's saying, hey, it's not what you're going to be able to do. It's not a work that you can do to be born again. It's not a work. It is something that God does on our behalf. That's all it is. It is what Jesus is going to do for you. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 makes this comment. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I would say it is impossible for you to just get wet to take away sins. It is impossible. You coming up and entering that, bapti that baptistry, going under, coming up, is like taking another bath if there is not a work that God has already done in your life. It is up to what Jesus has done. Dave read this in his communion meditation. Hebrews 9, 13 through 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, not the heart, that is cleaning you outwardly. That is making it to where you are ceremonially clean, but nothing changes on the inside. But he says, how much more Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will that purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? John, when he wrote 1 John, he said in 1 John 1, 7, this is what cleanses you. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's not anything that we do. It is what God has done for us by sending Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice. So many times people think, well, I got baptized, so therefore I'm saved. But they never truly accepted Christ. It's not what we do. It's solely what Jesus has done for us. Paul writes about this in Titus chapter 3. He says, he, this is being God, saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of anything you have ever done, but only because according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, by grace you have been saved. This is not a result of work so that no one can boast. That's what Paul just said to Titus, that it is because of what Christ did, not any works that we have done. 
Not your church service, not your giving, not your helping a neighbor, not your being wet in a baptistry, but the work that Christ has done for you. That is key in that passage. None of our righteous works saves us. So where does this washing come from? Where do, where do we get made clean? Paul said it in Titus 3, 6. Whom, this is Jesus, he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. How are you made clean? By the work of Jesus. As, as John said in 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This washing is done inwardly, where God takes our heart of stone, as he said in Ezekiel chapter 36, and he gives us a heart of flesh. It's an inward action. Now what baptism is, when we actually go up and we are baptized, that's not for our salvation. That is us showing, this is what Christ has done in my heart. So I am going to display it to everybody. It is what Christ has already done in me. Because as Isaiah said in Isaiah 1.18, Christ did it all. He washed us clean. He took our scarlet sins and made us white as snow. Isaiah 1.18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet... They shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. That is what Christ does for us. That is what Christ did for us. So that now when Jesus or God, when God looks at us, he doesn't see this red stained body that is covered in sin and guilt and just blindness, like just total, again, English, I don't have a word for it. Just this body of decay and death. But instead, what he sees is he sees Jesus. He sees a life that has been cleaned by the sacrifice of Christ. And so we no longer have to walk in guilt. We no longer walk saying, honestly, total transparency here. Last night, I failed. I mean, like, I was being tempted by, by Satan, by my own flesh, honestly. You know, James tells us, let no one say when he is tempted that it is God tempting him, but we are all tempted when our own selfish desires pull us away. And so there was just temptation in my heart. And it, it, I, I was doing the fight. It was like, God, I don't want to do this. Like talking about Romans chapter 7, the things I don't want to do, I'm doing. And the things I want to do, I'm not doing. And I mean, that was just being played out in my life. And I failed. And it was just like, God, all right, you know what? All right, God, if I read like five chapters in your Bible now, then you'll love me again. God, like maybe if I, maybe if I just listen to some praise and worship music, then you'll see really where I'm at and you'll love me again. Like we start doing that dance. Like, God, I failed you. What do I have to do again to be in your graces? What do I have to do for you to love me and accept me? What do I have to do, God? And God's like, nothing. Walk in the forgiveness of Christ's blood. That is all you have to do. There's conviction, like, man, God, I know what just happened disappointed you. I know that totally went against your word. God, I want to live for your glory. But, 
And as I was thinking, and I, I did end up doing a couple laps with our dog around our house, and I was just walking and praying to God. And the visual of when I used to get in trouble with my mom happened all the time. She would always sit me down, and she never said, Andy, you pathetic loser, I'm done with you, get out of my house. Not once was that word ever mentioned. Instead, what she would do is, Andy, that was wrong. You might have some consequences for this, but you know what? I love you. You are still my child. I am still proud of who you are becoming. And as I was just thinking about that, I was thinking of God having that same conversation with me. Andy, that was wrong. It goes against my will for you. But you know what? I love you. You're still my child. I still have good plan for you. Romans chapter 7, Paul's like, the things I want to do, I'm not doing. And the thing I don't want to do, man, I keep doing this. And then he says in verse 25, who will save me from this life of death? Wretched man that I am. Thanks be to God, who through Jesus, we are saved. And then Romans 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's what we do is when we fall short, we realize it is the blood of Jesus that covers us. It's not my doing. It's not my working my way back to God. It is, hey, you're covered. Now don't live in that. Don't like, hey, let's, let's pick you back up and let's keep going on the mission that I am calling you on. So when we fall short, Christ's blood covers us. That is the only way that we are saved is by receiving the gift that God offered, not by any righteous act that we might do. And so then Jesus goes on and tells Nicodemus this. This is how you are saved. This is how you are going to be healed. John chapter 3 verse 14. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent... In the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In Numbers chapter 25, we see what Jesus is talking about, where Israel is now currently wandering in the wilderness, and they start complaining, and they start grumbling, and they start saying, Oh God, if we could only be in Egypt where life was amazing, we were pretty much living in the Ritz-Carlton, how's come you had to bring us out into this wilderness? And they started really complaining, and so God was like, I've had enough. I'm going to send the worst plague upon you possible. Snakes are going to come in, and they're going to bite you, and they're going to kill you. And then there's a cry of repentance of God, we need you. And so then God commanded Moses, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to build a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and raise that pole up. And now if anybody's ever bit, all they have to do is look to that pole and they will be healed. What did the Israelites have to do to be healed? Did they have to go run and find water and get washed clean? No, they had to have faith. They had to have faith that if they look to this bronze serpent, they will be healed. What do Christians have to do? Just as the Son of Man was lifted up like that bronze serpent on the cross, believers, Christians, those who want to be clean, look to what Christ has done. And we're healed. 
When we say, God, I know that I am broken, that I fall short, that I continually am deserving of death, that I, that's the only thing that I deserve, God, is death. But I also believe that there is salvation, so I'm going to look to the cross. I'm going to look to what you have done, and I believe that through the sacrifice of Jesus, I can be made new. I can be born again. I can have a new life. That's how we're saved today. Based on nothing that you've ever done or ever will do, based solely on the work of Christ. Because honestly, we are like the Israelites. We complain against God. We argue with God. We deliberately disobey God. We look at the world and say, man, God, the world has it so good, and I'm confined with you. Like, God, if only I could go back and be a part of the world. And we are, we're being bitten by the plague of sin every single day. And every single day, we are deserving of death. But every single day, God says, my son was lifted up for you. Look at the sacrifice that he made. His blood covers you. Just as the Israelites looked to the bronze serpent and were healed, we look to Jesus Christ, to the work that he did on the cross, and we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5 says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. He bore what we were supposed to go through. Peter repeats this in 1 Peter 2, 22. He says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." Jesus, he bore our sins on the cross when he was lifted up so that whoever looks to him might have eternal life. Again, for the next five weeks, we're going to go through the most popular verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, and we're going to break it down. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting right, everlasting life. But notice just before verse 25, where it said, by his wounds, you have been healed. It said that we might die to sin. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You know what another way of saying that right there is? Be born again. You must die so that you can be born again. You die to the sins, to the addictions. You die to the lust and the selfish desires that you used to live in. And you are born again into a new life with Christ. You see, our first birth, like 33 years ago, ago, when I was born, that was born into sin. Psalm 51.5 tells us that. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, And in sin 
did my mother conceive me? We are born into a life of sin, and the result of that is death. There's, there's so many uh, excuses for our sins, honestly. So many times we hear people, well, God just make, made me this way. Well, if God didn't want me to be like this, he wouldn't have made me like this. God did not make us sinful. We were born into sin. But what God wants to do is call us into a new life. So I don't care what it is. If you're addicted, if you're living a, we'll say, homosexual lifestyle, whether you're born that way or not, if you are sleeping around in a life of sin, whatever it is, God did not make you that way. You are a fallen creature. I am a fallen creature. But what God wants to do is give us new life by being born into the Spirit, born into what Christ did for us. In order for there to be life, we're entering spring, where we're getting new leaves and everything's turning green and it's looking beautiful. For that to happen, death had to first take place. For new life to happen in us, we must die to ourselves. We must take up our cross daily and follow after Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's so much freedom found in this, in living for Christ. That not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, by, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's Titus chapter 3. There is freedom in living for Christ, in giving your lives over to him, because it's not based on what we do based on what I did yesterday, and then trying to earn favor with God again. It's like, no, hey, Andy, we're still good. I still love you. I still want to have you in my life. I still want to work through you because it's never been about what you've done. You've never earned my favor. I've never looked down at you and said, <laughs> he is just such a good person that, man, I have to work through him. Instead, it was, no, I love him though. I'm going to send Jesus to die for him and then you can live freely out of that. We get to freely walk in relationship with God knowing without a doubt that he loves us because he proved it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Paul says this in Galatians, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, I mean, think of that. God knows you. He knows you. Isaiah says, the hairs on your head have been numbered. He knows you. He knows you're coming and you're going, you're waking and you're sleeping. He knows everything about you. Now that you have come to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And then he said in Colossians 1.13, He, this being Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I didn't jump that gap from darkness to his kingdom. He delivered me from darkness to that kingdom in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's all because of what Jesus did. I mean, looking out in this crowd, I'd say a vast majority of you, all of you that I really know, have a faith in Christ. But there's probably people that will hear my voice listening to us online right now that might be thinking, man, I would love to go to church. I would love to give my life over to Jesus. But first, I got to get things figured out. I have to start shaping up, measuring up, acting up. And it's like, no, you can't. Christ died for you. Give your life over to him. And if you have done that already, keep dying to yourself daily. Keep living for Christ every single day. Because as Paul said in Galatians 4, how now that we are known by God, can we turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves we want to be once more? How can we do that once we know God? How can we say, God, I'm just going to live in this when we truly grasp what Christ has done for us? But when we fall, when we stumble, we get to walk in grace. We get to know that God still loves us. 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sins, God, who is faithful, will deliver you from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. If you confess, if you say, God, I know what I did goes against your will. I know this is not your plan for my life. God, I want to live for you. He is faithful and he will deliver you from all unrighteousness. I want to close by reading Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, because this is what we get to live in. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice everything it said there is God doing it. Not once does it say, you will do this. You will, you will be the one. It says, I will sprinkle you. I will give you a new heart. I will take your old heart. I will help you in this. It's all based on what God does. And then Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. We are living in this covenant. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity 
and I will remember their sin no more. That is a beautiful thing right there. That we can be and we are forgiven. If you want to be forgiven, it's found at the cross. If you are forgiven, keep looking to the cross. Because just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man will be lifted up. And whoever looks to him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're looking for that life, it's available through the work that Jesus did. So Kurt's going to come up with Anna and Hannah, and we're going to sing a song, and I love this song, Oh, Come to the Altar, because those are the words that we are called to do. If you are looking for a new life, it is found in what Jesus did. And so as we sing, if you have a decision to make, I encourage you to, to come and make that decision. And if you're online, we have a phone number that kicks up, an email address. Reach out to somebody and just talk to them about a new life being found in Christ. If you'll join me as we pray. God, we thank you. Thank you that you have done all the work. It is solely what you did for us. That we can be made clean through your sacrifice. That you remember our sin no more. That you just lavish grace upon us. God, we thank you for that. And God, I pray that we live in that grace every single day. So if we've been a Christian for 30 years and we've given our life over to you, may we continue to live for you. But God, if there be anybody who has not just surrendered everything over to you, Give them the courage to come forward and God just say, I believe that what Jesus did is what makes me right with God. And I want to live in that now. God, whatever you're working on the hearts of your people, just help us to respond to you in everything that you're calling us to do. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.